All right, we are back, and we got a lot of follow-up stuff I, I want to just touch on. As you know, we often promise we'll return to a subject in this program. <laughs> Unless we completely space it out, we usually do. And one small but irresistible story is worthy of comment, I think, which was the one about the guy that uh, got arrested for posing as a Transportation Security Administration agent and privately screening a couple of women at SFO last month. Yes, apparently Eric Slighton who did have a history of alcoholism, was a, a bigwig over in Hong Kong, some sort of big-time financial advisor. There was speculation that uh, they may not have enough evidence against, against him. And alas, prosecutors in Redwood City said last week that no criminal charges will in fact be filed against Mr. Slayton. Turned out they were not able to track down the two women that he was accused of accosting and screening privately. They were also not able to find surveillance footage of the incident. To which Mr. McMillan adds, in an airport? Shades of Ferdinand Marcos. Well, at any rate, San Mateo County District Attorney Steve Wagstaff said that while it's illegal to impersonate a police officer, actually it's not illegal to impersonate a TSA agent. Anyway, that's a bit of a follow-up. We're sad to report it. We'd like to have seen this guy the book thrown at him. What a jerk. And speaking of jerks and money two things that often go together. There apparently is more to this story about what's going on down in Argentina than we have reported on. Yes, Argentina does appear to be grotesquely mismanaged and apparently has been for generations now. But apparently when they're complaining down there about the actions of some New York City hedge funds, they have a point. Writing about this in Slate.com, Zachary Carabell said that... Um, some of the fault here lies with Elliott Management, a hedge fund operating out of New York that has refused, almost alone among the many holders of Argentine bonds, to accept less than what it feels it is owed. Elliott apparently bought these bonds on 20 cents on the dollar, because they're a little bit distressed given the Argentinian financial crisis, but is now holding out for getting repaid their full value. And an American court has backed them up in this. The Argentinian government took a look at this, wanted to pay shareholders their usual installment, but decided, well, no, we can't do that. So now for the second time since 2001, the country has defaulted on its sovereign debt, which is going to cause all kinds of problems. Zachary Carabell said that um, the hedge fund is, says it's standing on principle, arguing that the sanctity and enforceability of debt covenants are the financial system's bedrock. He says, well, to some extent, that's true, but it's also true that debt obligations are forgiven, restructured, or renegotiated all the time. Adding, more importantly, 40 million Argentines and their financially feckless government shouldn't be forced to enrich a few American billionaires who refuse to be slightly less enriched by accepting a reduced payment. So I don't think he's got a point. And we've reported on this program about some skullduggery about labeling. The legislature... Uh, here in Sacramento is attempting to change how products are marketed for the benefit of the public, but sometimes business doesn't agree with their plans, and in fact, business usually wins. They did again last week over this food fight. It's been described over soda labeling. Looking back on this shenanigans, Lauren Rosenhall, writing for SACB.com, noted that uh, when the Assembly Health Committee killed a bill, Requiring warning labels last June, 13 lawmakers and more than three dozen legislative staff members attended a reception inside California's Capitol sponsored by PepsiCo. 
the issue of America's great obesity epidemic and its contribution by sugary soft drinks is something we will continue to follow. Will labeling bills solve the problem? Well, no, they won't. But can they help? Yeah, they might. The Beat did publish a summary of uh, four food labeling bills that uh, tried to get through the legislature in the last year. The one we find most interesting was Senate Bill 1381 by Noreen Evans, Democrat from Santa Rosa, would have required genetically engineered food sold in California to carry a label that says genetically engineered. That one failed in the Senate. But speaking of local politicos and those who purchased them, the B business section had a had a little item titled, What Will Redefine Us? Local Leaders Offer Ideas. Piece by Dale Kassler went around and asked some of the people that are responsible for things like McKinley Village and our arena whether we're on the right track. And we here at Radio Parallax are happy to report that after the B went and talked to these people that are going to make millions of dollars from these projects, they're happily reassuring us that we're on the right track. And I realize publications are dependent upon advertising dollars, but do they have to suck up to these people so shamelessly? I mean, as you know, Phil Angelides was um, put at the head of a blue-ribbon panel investigating our 2008 economic meltdown. And, you know, he did look into it pretty thoroughly and came back with the conclusion that, well, some things were done that probably shouldn't have been. But the bee actually asked this guy, given your obvious familiarity with the circumstances behind the 2008 economic meltdown, what's your view on the current recovery? Does it seem more sustainable? To which Angelo Sacopoulos' cabin boy responded, I remain deeply concerned on both a national and regional level about our recovery from the financial crisis and economic meltdown that followed. Incomes are stagnant. Unemployment remains stubbornly high with record levels of long-term unemployment and income and wealth inequality are at the highest levels since the 20s. Then he's asked, you just committed a major investment in Sacramento's housing market at McKinley Village. What seems to be fueling the Sacramento region's recovery these days? To which he replies, in partnership with the new home company and Encore Capital Management, we've committed to invest over $160 million to build the McKinley Village neighborhood. We've done so in part because of the growing strength of the urban infill housing market resulting from the increasing demand for housing in the urban core close to jobs. And by the way, I stand to take away $20, $30 million out of this cash cow. So I know it's going to do a hell of a lot for my personal economic recovery. I actually didn't say any of that last part, but he should have. They also asked Jeffrey Michael, described as an economist, does the current recovery seem more or less sustainable than the boom of eight years ago? To which he responded, the recovery seems sustainable at this point. Well, I guess asking economists about forecasts is better than asking astrologers, although the evidence doesn't seem to suggest that it's a lot better. And apparently one of our city councilmen in Sacramento, Steve Hansen, is getting uh, kudos from people like Marcos Bretone for taking on the mayor on his strong mayor proposal. And Hansen, who I guess was a lobbyist, or maybe still is a lobbyist for the high-tech industry, uh, I think has his eye on the uh, mayor's chair. I personally attended many of the meetings that, that he chaired with local groups regarding the McKinley Village and watched as he assured us that he had city staff sitting right there that were interested in our complaints and taking notes to address our grievances. And as I looked out and reported on this program, I was a witness to astoundingly bored city bureaucrats 
sitting at the chair with no pen, no paper, no notes being taken, acting as window dressing for Mr. Hansen's claims. But let's get off that topic and do just a few stats I got lying around here. Like, according to the New York Times, America now has more computer software engineers than farmers. More than one million people are trying to make a living writing apps and other software. Here's one from the Wall Street Journal. While applications to college computer science programs have soared, the Bureau of Labor and Statistics estimates that one million programming jobs will remain unfilled by 2020. And according to Vox.com, all the CEOs of the S&P 500 companies earned $5.9 billion in compensation that year. That's just those 500 CEOs. That amounts to enough cash to give all 3.3 million Americans who earn minimum wage an $1,800 pay bump every year. All right, talking about local politicians that we were a moment ago and water issues as we just now were, something that combines these is... um, Issues about the water bond. Apparently one just passed through the legislature. And, um, you know, we don't talk about Davis politicians enough on this program. Lois Wolk has been uh, representing Davis in our legislature for quite a while and seems to be doing some good work there. Her editorial to the B titled, Water Bond is a Good Deal for Delta, deserves a quote or two. She notes that it, it does nothing to do with the highly unpopular $25 billion Delta Tunnels proposal. We're going to see this in the November ballot, $7.5 billion being spent on, um, on this bond. It's going to fund a lot of water issues across the state, including water recycling and stormwater capture projects. But Lois Wolk notes that it includes protections that ensure that funds will not be used for the design, construction, mitigation, operation, or maintenance of Delta conveyance facilities. Good. By the way, we're hoping to talk about the book, The King of California, which is something like a decade old now, but has a lot of uh, pretty eye-opening stuff in there about how water was commandeered in the San Joaquin Valley. Some of it involves the kind of squatter's rights claims that I think Alexander the Great would have been proud of. All right, as we've been promising you all along here, we're now going to go back down under below the equator to the land of Oz for our Australian correspondent who's been missing in action for a while, but she's got a good excuse, and I'll let her tell you about it. Welcome back, Pamela Taylor. Thank you, Doug. It's nice to be back. Yes, my my excuse currently weighs about 14 pounds. (laughs) I, uh, (laughs) I gave birth about four and a half months ago to a nice little healthy baby girl. Well, outstanding. Well, a more worthy cause I cannot cite for your absence, so uh, so good on you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but let's get back to talking about a little bit of politics anyway. We mentioned on this program some, uh, some skullduggery in your neck of the woods up in Queensland. Uh, they're planning to, I guess, do some dredging up there and, and put the spoils out there in the Barrier Reef, and I'm sure this has people down there a bit worried. Absolutely. So they they want to dredge the reef. Basically, it's to get more uh, cruise ships in so that they have the room to turn around and things like that. Then they want to dump uh, pollution out there saying that it will stay in one spot. It won't wander. The pollution won't wash away and go everywhere. It'll just stay where they put it, right? Then they're also looking at building a, a casino 
with five hotels, including 4,000 rooms, to the value of about $8 billion at Yorkie's Knob. And there was talk about putting platoons out on the reef where you can go and camp on the reef and touch it, which you're not supposed to, as part of, of your trip and your stay there. Have they, has someone just lost their mind down there? Is just is this was this some Chinese businessman? You were for the casino. It's it's a Chinese investment, but it's still up to our government to allow them in. And our state government is the, the currently the uh, Liberal National Party. They're allowing it. So they'll sell anything. Well, these are the same guys that repealed, as we understand it, the uh, Australia very sensibly enacted a carbon tax, showing the rest of the world how this needs to be done. And I guess this new government has um, turned that around. He's uh, repealed that, taken that away. They've taken climate change off the agenda for the G20 summit later this year. Wow. Well, um, you know, we're going to have a lot to talk about in, in, as this as this goes forward. Uh, my understanding, I think talking to Mike Bonner, our New Zealand uh, shark correspondent, was that um, they're not going to take the step of taking it out past the reef and dumping it, which they have the option to do. It's because it's going to cost more. Is that what your understanding of it is? They're just going to do it the cheap and the cheap and dirty way. Oh, definitely. It's all about profit. It's all about money margins. Well, Pamela, we're counting on you to, uh, you know, once 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 baby gets a little more settled in for you to get back and start doing some more agitating and rabble-rousing, which I know we can count on you to do. <laughs> oh, definitely. Oh, I haven't stopped. I've just slowed down a bit, but I haven't stopped. All right. And uh, you're, you're not, you're no longer, at the moment, I guess you're not in Cairns. You're a little more south. But I'm, I'm investigating the whole coast. They're doing all sorts of things up and down the coast of Queensland. So you've got to keep an eye on them everywhere. But Cairns is probably where they're doing the most damage at the moment. But I'll be around Brisbane for the G20 summit later this year. And is that is that casino going to go down more toward Brisbane or more north? No, no, that's Cairns. Oh, it is? A casino Cairns. in Cairns? Another one. Oh, my. You know, I always say, when you know, you need more casinos like you need more cancer. But uh, that's just my own personal yeah. opinion. Casino, though, uh, I have no problem if people want to spend their time, you know, in a casino. But it's all of the pollution that's going to be going straight onto the reef because uh, they're building building four thousand new rooms for people to stay in right there. It's too much. It's too much for the ecosystem to handle. Well, four thousand rooms does strike me as one hell of a jump forward. I mean, Kansas, of course, is a giant uh, tourist destination, a very popular place, a lovely place, but. Uh, my God, there's a lot of hotels there, but I mean, how many people come to come to stay now? Do we have any idea? No, but I can find that out and get back to you for sure. Yeah, let's talk about that because I'd like to know what kind of you know, increment they're making here because this this seems to be a a disease all over the world. Whether it's California, Hawaii, Australia, they just uh, they look at the tourist dollars and they just go nuts. Definitely, and it's at the expense of our future generations. I mean, I'm looking into the face of my future generation right now, and I can't guarantee that there's going to be a great barrier reef for her to visit. Well, you know, we, we talked when, we, when I was down there a year and a half ago, pushing two years ago, I guess, at this point. Uh, you were very concerned about the, the, the health of the reef, and I was hearing a lot of people that were, that were optimistic about it. And I guess um, there's two sides to this. A lot, of, a lot of biologists are looking at it and saying, no, this reef really is in, 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 in grave danger. Definitely, especially if we start mining it, they want to see if, there's, if they can get any minerals, they want to get gas out of it. It's, it's just going to be gone. Pamela, we're glad to see that uh, you're you're back uh, back on, on the job here as our Australian correspondent. Let's uh, let's do a little research and talk more about this in the weeks to come. I know you're a busy mom and will be for a while, but uh, let's make some time to to chat about uh, things in your in your in your part of the world. 
Definitely. I mean, the reef isn't just an Australian you know, heritage. It, it belongs to the whole world. It's the responsibility of all of us to look after it. So if other people in other countries don't like what my government is doing about it, they need to speak up. Well, and we'll see what we can do to help you, help you with that, Pamela. Sounds good. Thanks, Doug. All righty. In the few minutes we have left for this segment, let's lighten the mood a bit. Let's go to Mental Floss, which is not always a reliable source, but they had a section in the current issue entitled Big Questions. And they talked about 35 things you didn't know you needed to know. Well, you don't need to know them, but they're kind of interesting. In answer to the question, why isn't cat food mouse-flavored? The magazine had this to say, Cats love to chew on mice, so why not feed them meals with delicious rodent flavoring? Well, that's because the FDA says you can't. It in fact holds pet foods the same sanitation and safety standards as it does human food, approving ingredients that it deems appropriate and necessary for an animal's diet. Rodents aren't sanctioned to be grown as food in the United States, and the Department of Agriculture doesn't have an official inspection procedure for mice. So while fish are a go, mice are a no. And here's one I have doubts about, but it's so fascinating, we're just going to run with it. In answer to the question, what does space smell like? The magazine said, astronauts fresh off spacewalks often report that a certain faint, acrid smell clings to their equipment. Astronaut Don Pettit described it as a rather pleasant, sweet, metallic sensation akin to welding fumes while others have said it reminded them of charred meat. It's speculated they were probably smelling polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, PAHs, which are compounds produced when stars and planets form. According to Jeffrey Oishi, research scientist at the Museum of Natural History in New York, PAHs are present on Earth too. They're produced when you barbecue. we got to find out more about that. They also note if you travel 26,000 light years to a dust cloud at the center of the Milky Way, titled Sagittarius B2, you might then catch a whiff of raspberries and maybe rum. Because scientists have determined that out there in that gas cloud is ethyl formate, an ester that gives both treats their flavors. Oishi said space is pretty boozy. There's no liquid alcohol, but lots of different kinds of alcohols have been observed. In fact, a gas cloud in the constellation Aquila contains enough space booze that if liquefied could fill 400 trillion trillion pints. But that's probably a really long way to go for a pub crawl. All right. You know, we love Pamela's accent, that good Australian uh, twang that, uh, that livens up her speech. Mental Floss asked, when did Americans lose their English accent? The magazine responded, when English colonists arrived in America in the 1600s, they sounded like their countrymen back home. They note, of course, Britain is home to a smorgasbord of accents, but, you know, you know what we mean. By the mid-18th century, their descendants sounded more like, well, Americans. <laughs> it's not that Yanks simply decided to talk differently one day. The accent evolved, well, as accents do. They evolved in America, they evolved in Britain. The magazine claims that back in the day, Englishmen pronounced their R's, but sometime in the 19th century, it became fashionable, at least in southern England, to drop certain R's, turning words like 
perfect into puffect. It's noted that the fad spread, but it didn't reach America except along the East Coast, which had stronger ties to the old country. And this, allegedly, is why Bostonians pock the car. I don't know. Is that why down in Australia they say cans instead of cairns? Melbourne instead of Melbourne? More linguistic research is needed here, but that'll have to wait. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. we got lots more for our third segment. Don't go away. Don't go away. 